Okay, this is a re-recording of the share that I gave last night. Those of us that have joined me in this, I appreciate it. And um, really wanted to go through two basic sources and try to bring out something that would hopefully make our Pesach more meaningful, more personal, bring things back down to the level of where we are, who we are in the year 2022, so that when we sit at our Siddharam with whoever it is that we sit with, whether it be family or whether it be friends, whether we're away or we're home, or for those of us that are alone, we're going to be alone, to try to make the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim tangible and palpable for us this year. The Svasemes is trying to explain why Pesach night, that entire play, that magnificent, almost the magnum opus of our of our year, the unbelievable play that we do every year, Seder night, that begins with the opening act of Kadesh and going through towards the end of Nirza and then hopefully into Shirashirim. Why is that called Seder? What's the significance of the Seder, of order, of finding order in that whole journey? So the Svasemes reminds us that the entire story of Pesach, the Exodus story, took place in chaos. Complete chaos, the chipazon. Everything happened very fast. So that the human psyche, the consciousness of all of the Jews that experienced Yitzhak Mitzrayim that night when it actually took place, didn't experience anything benachas, anything with Archavas Hadas or with Yishav Hadas. The entire experience of coming out of that place called Mitzrayim happened in a chaotic frenzy. Because that's really the truth. The truth of the matter is, is that all birth, all birth happens in chaos. There's blood flying all, everywhere. There's risk factors all the time. There's not knowing exactly what time, it, what's going to happen, where we're up to, where we're holding. Ask anyone that has experienced or been in the room when someone else is giving birth. There's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of intensity. We have to prepare well. And that's what that's what we do, Baruch Hashem. We live in, in, the, in the world today where people don't d die in childbirth. And infants, the mortality rate is much higher. But the capacity for things to go wrong at a, specifically the moment of birth is very high. And that's really the truth. Truly the story for each and every one of us in our lives. It's only at the moment where we're about to experience a real transformation that things get really, really chaotic. There's no transformation, there's no birth that happens without bichipazon, without a certain sense of chipazon. And of course, the Svarim HaKadoshim point out that the promise of the coming of Mashiach is that it's going to happen without chaos. It's going to happen in a very orderly fashion. We might be shocked out of our minds, but we will experience and go through everything with seder, with order. So the Svasemis explains, the Svasemis says the words, we call 
this night, we call this act of Zecher Yitzhiyat Mitzrayim, of Sipur Yitzhiyat Mitzrayim, of telling over the story of Yitzhiyat Mitzrayim, specifically in order of Kadesh, Orchatz, Karpas. We, we say that whole thing in Seder. He says, She'ikra ha-Sipur, because the essence of us telling over the story of Yitzhiyat Mitzrayim, who l'sader kal hadvarim shahayanasa oz the purpose of Sipur Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, which is a mitzvah that's specifically the night of Pesach, once a year, the story of Sipur Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, of telling over L'saper, V'higadita Levincha, of telling over, of speaking it over, he says, is L'sader kol hadvarim shahayanasa oz b'chipazon, is to make sense and to make order and to create ritual and to reflect in a way that puts everything back into some sense and semblance of order that was initially experienced in chaos. That which is experienced in chaos, those transformative moments in our lives that have been experienced so chaotically that for many, many years we perhaps thought we were hopeless. For many years we thought that our lives were headed in a terribly negative direction. To be able to create order and tell over the story in a clear fashion, with steps, the sader, to put everything back into perspective, that kind of clarity means that I am I have integrated completely the chaotic transformations that I've experienced, and I'm now living on a higher plane. I think that's the that's the amkus of what the what the Svasemis is teaching us. We call this night Seder night because it's a time to reflect on all of the things that have happened in our lives, all the negativity that have happened in our lives, and all the transformations we've been through that have gotten us to this moment, to be able to integrate those things and embody those things in such a way that we can now sit from a certain place of this connection of detachment and put everything back into perspective and say, you know, in my reflection of the process, even though it felt like it was chaotic at the time, even though it felt like things were happening at the time, with all of that, I have the capacity to put it into order and make sense of things. So I would like to share a specific thought, something that perhaps may get lost in the mix, maybe not. But this is my thought this year. Instead of writing this out, I really would like to speak it out. The story goes that the Kutzker, like most stories with the Kutzker, very, very short story. But the story goes that the Hasidim were looking at the ground flour that they had, that they were about to use to bake the matzahs that they were going to give to the Kutzker. And the Hasidim were looking at the flower and thinking about where the flower came from, and they felt that it wasn't it wasn't mahudra enough, it wasn't beautiful enough, it wasn't with all of the right stringencies. As you know, that matzah has to be made, matzah shmura has to be made, has to be watched very specifically. The process is very delicate. And they were thinking to themselves, maybe the, the flower that they had now wasn't so mahudar, it wasn't so great. They were gonna going to bake matzahs for the Kutzka. They wanted to have the best kind of flour. So they went out searching to see if they could find flour that would be better. And they couldn't find any. 
And they went back to the Kutzka. They said to the Kutzka, you know, we couldn't find any flower that was better than this. And the Kutzka looked at them and said to them, you know, quartz and shar, very, very direct. He said to them, and while you were out looking for better flower, what happened to the flower that we had? You, you forgot to watch that flower. That means that the flower that we, we had already is no longer, can be no longer called matzah shmura while you were out searching for something better. And this for me is very much a lesson in my own life. And it's really something I would like to get dive into uh, in the time that we have now is the question of searching for something beyond. Because all of us, all of us have a split somewhere, somehow between how we are in reality right now and ideally how we would like to be, what we think we should be, what we want to be, what we could be what we dream of being, the goals that we hope to get to. I know I've shared this before, the distinction between Eastern philosophy and Western philosophy is that in Western philosophy, the destination defines the journey. And in Eastern philosophy, the journey defines the destination. And here and now, what I'd like to talk about is how the journey is the destination, but not only that, it's not just the journey that's the destination, it's that every solitary moment is the destination. So let's learn together a little bit uh, from Rav Cook. I translated the Hebrew into my own, uh, my own uh, translation of, uh, of Rav Cook's writings. This appears in the, in the Sefer Olas Re'iya, which is Rav Cook's writing mostly on the Siddur, and on the Yom Tovim. So this is uh, somewhat of a, of a popular piece amongst the students of Rav Kook. Rav Kook has an essay at the beginning of his writings on Pesach, where he talks about his definition of cheres, of liberty, of freedom. So we'll read together some of, uh, some of what, what, what Rav Kook wrote, but I'll just read, to, read it to you in the English. Rav Kook writes, the essence of liberation from all foreign subjugation. Fancy words. <clears throat> the essence of any kind of freedom, of any kind of redemption, but not just redemption. Well, I guess redemption, yes. The essence of liberation from all foreign subjugation. Nicole Shibud Zar, from anything that is foreign that is attempting to subjugate me. The essence of liberation from that, and it goes on to explain liberation of what? What, is it, what does foreign subjugation mean? The essence of finding freedom, freedom from any kind of oppression that stifles the image of God within each of us. That each of us have what's called the Tzalem Elohim, not just that we're fashioned to mimic God, but that we are actually created with a piece of God within us. We are formed to be God-like, God and we have a piece of God within us. So the essence of liberation from any kind of oppression that stifles the image of God within each of us, from oppression that reduces our inherent value, and from oppression that reduces the beauty of our own greatness and the magnificence of our own holiness, as to Ferris Kedulase Bahadras Kadshay. The essence of this liberty, he says, the only way 
that any of us can have true liberty, true freedom from anything that oppresses the Tzalem Elikim within us, from anything that, re- that oppresses the, our inherent value and the beauty and magnificence of our greatness and our holiness, the essence of that liberty is only acquired through freedom of our soul. It is only when we find freedom from anything that distracts us from the straight and steadfast natural flow of who we truly are, that we can be free. True freedom can only happen, can only be acquired through, within my own psyche, within my own mind, within my own being, if my neshama isn't free, if I'm not able to touch my soul, if I'm not able to experience my soul, if my soul is not unbound, meaning if my soul is still constricted by all the mental things that go on inside of my, my, the mental activity inside of me, if my soul is not, it doesn't have a pathway to be free within me, then I am not free. It is only my freedom from things that distract me from the straight and natural flow of my soul. It is only when those things are free that I can truly be free. There can be such a phenomenon. We can find a slave who is enlightened, whose spirit is filled with freedom. Think Viktor Frankl. And there can be a free person whose spirit is subjugated by slavery. Beautiful words. Again, it is possible to be a slave, to be on a on a on Mangala's table inside a concentration camp and have him work all kinds of insane experiments on my body and be completely abused and at the same time be enlightened and have a spirit that's filled with freedom. And even those of us that have experienced the worst kinds of abuse, the worst kinds of rejection from life, it is possible to be a victim and at the same time do the work to allow myself to move from being a victim and a slave inside myself to having a spirit that's filled with freedom. And the same thing, the opposite can be true. I can be a free person who has everything that I need, who has every opportunity in this world, who has the capacity for anything that exists, but my spirit can be subjugated by slavery. Liberty, Riff Cook says, is anything that lifts us. Liberty elevates us, both as in individuals and as a nation. Elevates us so that we can be true to the inner essence of who we are. To reclaim our own inner, inner image of God that is within us. Again, liberty elevates us. Liberty elevates us so that we can be true to the inner essence of who we are. That requires me to know who I am, but it also requires me to have the capacity to be who I am, to be how I am, so that we can be true to the inner essence of who we are to reclaim our own inner image of God that is within us. And it is this freedom that enables us to feel as if my life is meaningful, alive, and worth something. Just to meditate on these words. This freedom, the freedom of our soul, the freedom of our souls from slavery, the freedom to be lifted, to be elevated, 
the freedom to be true to my inner essence, which of course in today's generation, this is, this is the big machla, this is the big challenge. How do I know who I am and not be distracted by stress and be distracted by all kinds of other influences, foreign subjugations of shibudim zarim? How to be able to not be distracted by those things, to find the essence of who I am and to live from that place, to reclaim our own image of God that is within us, that is what gives us the capacity to feel as if my life is meaningful, alive, and worth something. On the other hand, he says, a person who carries a spirit of a slave, inevitably, their thoughts and feelings are not occupied with anything that is essential or real. Because if I'm a slave, my whole life is occupied and preoccupied and obsessed with things that are not essential or real. They are only occupied with what is good and attractive to someone else. An other, capital O, anything. It could be an idea. It could be a person. It could be me trying to mimic a tzaddik. It could be the Torah itself. But if I'm only, if, if I'm occupied with what is good and attractive to someone else, an other that inevitably controls me in any kind of way, that is slavery. Whether I'm merely influenced by someone or I adopt a full philosophy based on what some other finds good and attractive, that's slavery. Dare I say that a person who doesn't know who they are, a person who doesn't have the capacity within themselves to know their self-worth, that doesn't have the capacity to tune into their own Selim Elohim, that doesn't have the capacity to tune into and touch their own soul, even God, even Hashem himself, can become a Shibud Zar. Look at how many people are disgruntled with religion. Look at how many people uh, live fully religious lives without any meaning. Look at how many people have so much meaning, but without any real personal peace within themselves. Rav Cook is teaching us that if you want to know what true freedom is, true freedom is the, the capacity to tune into and have what he calls the freedom of my soul. To be an Evan maskil If I want to know what it means to be an Evan Hashem, I think Rav Cook here is teaching us an Eved Hashem is an Eved Maskil Shuruchai Humalecheros. It is only my capacity, and this is, a, this is a tough one, in my capacity to deal with the paradox of being a follower and a fulfiller of God's commandments, and at the same time, be truly free inside. To be truly free, to be responsible. I think I've shared this, shared this with you before, that the word responsible comes from the word respond. If I respond to the world, then I'm responsible. If I respond to what's needed of me, I'm, I am responsible. But if I react to what's expected of me, then I become a slave. Then I can be a ben choren, shuruchai huruach shal eved. So now the question becomes, now that Rav Kook has defined for us what true cheres means, and we're throwing around nice, beautiful keywords to try to understand what does it mean, Cheros, Rav Kook says, to be free to be me, 
to have freedom of my soul, to be driven from the inside, to live my life driven by who I am and what I am and to live my life the way I am. So what does all that mean? What does it mean to be who I am, to be true to the essence of myself, to be true to the Tzalem Elohim that's within me, to know my self-worth? What do any of these things mean? So we're going to go to source number two. This is from the Kedushas Levi, of Levi Yitzchak and Sarah Sasha. It should be a male Yitzchak for all of Klal Yitzchak. Kedushas Levi in Sherashirim says as follows. We know that when Hashem created the world, He created the world with preconceived intentions. In other words, most of us would assume that Hashem initially created the world. And in the world, he put all the different ingredients and all the different things. He put all different kinds of things in the world. And once the world was set up, then he created man. And he told man how to live in this world. That's the way most of us understand. So this lady is really quoting a medrash. And the medrash teaches us that before Hashem created the world, there were four things that Hashem had in mind that the world would be as a place for these four things, that the world would actually service these four things, not the other way around. The four things that he says are, are the Avais, the Medrash says, Medrash Rabbah, the Avais, the forefathers, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, Nishmas Yisrael, the Nisham of Kla Yisrael, Beis HaMikdash, Ushmoi, Shamashiach. These four things, the Avos, the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, the Beis HaMikdash, and the name of Mashiach, these four things were, <clears throat> in Hashem's mind, they were the intention of the creation of the world. So says the Kedushas Levi, we know that when Hashem created the world, his intention was for the Jewish people, that prior to creating the world, Hashem already was thinking about the Jewish people so that he created the world for the Jewish people. So he says that there are obviously two types of love that Hashem has for the Jewish people. One is the love that he had prior to creating us. And the second is the love that he has after creating us. Now let's, let's try to understand what this means. There is a kind of love that Hashem has for us that tingles somewhere in the back of our consciousness, perhaps even in our unconsciousness, but certainly in our neshamas, the nishmas Yisrael, that before Hashem created the world, before Hashem created Klal Yisrael in, 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 in our flesh, Hashem was already yearning for and loving the neshama of Kal Yisrael. And then, of course, once Hashem created Kal Yisrael, Hashem has a love for Kal Yisrael. What are these two loves? What is the significance? What does it mean for us? So he says, the love that Hashem has from prior to creating us has no purpose and no outcome. The words that he uses is here, a love that has no hashpa'a. It doesn't, 
exude, it doesn't surpass, it doesn't give out anything. It's an intrinsic love, but I'm going to take it a step further and say it is not just an intrinsic love. It is not just a love that is unconditional. Any of us that have had children can attest to the fact that the act of creating a child between parents and the nine months of waiting for a child to be born from conception until birth, until the moment of birth, there is a tremendous amount of love that parents have for that child. It's a love that far surpasses anything about that child. There is no detail in that child's life that the parent knows anything about. And therefore there's no detail in that child's life that the parent loves. The parent loves the child simply because the child is theirs, but not selfishly because it's theirs, but because on a much deeper level, the ultimate chios in life, the ultimate life force itself is love. And loving is what brings the life force into existence. And so if we could say it this way, Hashem didn't create the Jewish people and then fall in love with them. There's nothing about the Jewish people that Hashem loves enough to create the Jewish people. There's nothing about the Jewish people that Hashem loves enough to create the world. It works the other way around. It is out of an act of Hashem's primal love that Klai Yisrael comes into existence. The existence of Klai Yisrael is in and of itself love. I am a piece of love. Hashem's love for love itself is me. Let's just think about the, the, those words for a minute. Hashem's love for love itself is the neshama of Klai Yisrael. That's the kind of love that exists prior to the creation of the world. And then, of course, once a child grows up and the child exhibits their personality and a child learns and says a funny, funny line and reaches a milestone and the, and the parents become proud. And then we love our child more. We fall more in love with them every day. Hopefully we fall more in love with them. Hashem falls in love with Klai Yisrael every day. Hashem spends all of his day looking down to see who are we, what are we, what are we doing, what's going on. He wants to know all day long what's happening with Klai Yisrael, what's happening with you, what's happening with me. He wants to know he's paying attention. That's a second kind of love. That's the kind of love of you're giving me a reason to love you. I love you because, fill in the blank. So the Gedushas Levi here, in Shirashirim, says that there's one kind of love that is called the Aleph love. That's a love that has no hashpa'ah. That means that I am essentially an essence of God. Hashem doesn't love me because of anything. I am a part of God's love. You want to know where to find me? Find where God's love is. That's where I am because that's what I am. That's a love that's built the hashpa'ah. There's no outcome of that. It just is. It's purposeful because it has essential value, perhaps inherent self-value, if you will. And then, of course, there's a second kind of love that is based on a relationship. That's me and God, thou and I, if you will. That kind of love is represented by the letter base. So Lucius Levy says that based on Azariah Kaddish, the letter hey always represents the Jewish people. So then the word Ahava is Aleph Hey. 
Bay's hay. Aleph hay is the kind of love that existed before the beginning of the world. And the Bay's hay is the love of Hashem when he loves Klal Yisrael in a way where he's paying attention to us as separate from him. And then therefore he's giving things to us, each and every one of us. It is much easier for us in our consciousness, in our minds, to wrap our heads around being loved for doing something. Most, of, uh, most adults tend to think of life in terms of the transactions of I give, you give, I receive, you receive, <coughs> or we've, we are trained in many ways to be very successful. So if I've been successful at something, I feel like life is going well, then I'm deservant of praise, I'm deservant of love. And even between spouses, much of the love that exists at the early stages of a marriage is for reasons. I love you because. I love you because you, you're attractive. I love you because you complete me. I love you because you, you do this for me. I love you because we've built a family together. Most of us can, can tune into that frequency, or at least consciously, logically, theoretically, understand that kind of love. But what about the first kind of love, the love that existed at the beginning of, of time, before the world was created, before, the, before time was created? What about the love that has to do with the letter Aleph? Can I find within myself the capacity to be loved just because I am? Without the word because, let's take it out. Can I find within myself the capacity to simply be loved? In my thinking, if you want to know what it means to tune into your soul, what does it mean to be me? What does it mean to be, have a tselem elokim that is inside of me? What does it mean to be free to live in this world being true to who I am. What is this freedom that Rav Kook is talking about? I think the freedom that Rav Kook is talking about, the cherusa shel hanashama, the freedom of the soul, is the capacity for me to experience the first kind of love that the Kedusha Slavi is talking about. My capacity to feel loved exactly the way that I am. Not just the way that I am, and not just because of anything, but simply because my existence is a piece of love. Here's a little prayer that sometimes I, I, uh, I like to say. Hashem, I need to know that I can exist here as I am before I can begin to contemplate any change. Before we begin to think anything about growth, about changing anything about how I am. I need to know from you, Hashem, that I am okay exactly here right now. One of my favorite books in the last year that I, that I got was uh, written by a, a non-Jewish non guy. His name is John Rodell. The most magnificent uh, poems and work of literature began as a Facebook posts. <clears throat> he began to dialogue with God. And the book is called, Hey God, Hey John. Short little 
sometimes very short, sometimes larger, short little uh, non-denominational and non-religious conversations that this guy John has with, with God. And it starts like this. There's one of them. Me, John is speaking to God. Me, hey God, God, hey John, me, help me change, God, nope, me, why not, God, because you haven't tried being who you were born to be yet. In other words, you're trying too hard. You're trying too hard to do the wrong things. You're following way too many shibudim zarim. In this, in this little essay, you're, you're, you're distracted by so many different things and running in so many different directions all the time, running away from who you were born to be. Again, me, hey, God, God, hey, John, me, help me change. How many of us have asked, have asked Hashem to give me the kayak to change? God, nope. Me, why not? God, because you haven't tried being who you were born to be yet. Me, who is that? Who Am I born to be? Who is that? God. Loved. Just to be loved. Can I allow myself to be loved? And I think this is what the Kedusha Slavi and the and Rav Kook, <coughs> Lahavdal, what the two, the, these two tzaddikim, well, not between the two of them, Chasr but between them and John Rodell, what these two tzaddikim are trying to teach us is if I don't have the capacity as, as being a part of Nishmas Yisrael, if I don't have the capacity to tune in to the frequency of love, of Ahava, of that kind of Aleph Hey love, where I am loved simply because I am me, a love that is not just, not just not contingent on anything, but a love that existed from a time prior to the beginning of this world. That I, my whole existence, the essence of my existence is a piece of love. That if I were to unravel all of the layers of my mind and my unconscious world, if I were to unlayer and strip myself down all the way to the deepest, deepest kernel of essence within myself, and I were to get into my soul, all that's experienced there is love. This, I think, is the story of the Kutzko. This is what the Kutzko was, was telling his Hasidim. You're running around looking for something better. I appreciate that. That's great. It's fantastic. It's amazing. You want to do Hidr Mitzvah. You want to make my matzahs better. That's fantastic. But don't run away from the essence of who you are. Don't try to change yourself and throw the bath out with the bathwater. Don't try to grow into something that you're not. Don't forget to recognize that the essence of who you are, no matter what, right here, right now, is that you have an ashama. And then Hashem is a chelak alekami mal mamish. And just like Hashem loves himself, Hashem loves me. <coughs> to be loved, to experience the kind of aleph hey ahava, the first part of that being <coughs> to recognize and experience within myself that my life exists 
exactly the way I am, exactly who I am, and that is more magnificent than anything else on this planet. More magnificent than anything that could possibly exist. That's what it means to be an evil mas, an even maskel shiruchai humalecheres. To be enlightened and to be filled with the freedom, the freedom to have a ruach hanisa, to have a, a freedom that allows me to soar, that allows me to uplift, that allows me to transcend. <clears throat> I cannot change until I know how to be loved. So here is then an exercise, an exercise for us as we enter this, this precious, beautiful, holy time. It's really the beginning of everything, the entire story of the Bez Hay, of the love that Hashem has for Kal Yisrael after its birth, right? Because Mitzrayim itself is the birth of Kal Yisrael. And so the freedom, the birth that exists begins a whole new stage according to the Arizal. It's like infancy. Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is, is birth itself. The birth of Kal Yisrael, the birth of a nation. It's moving from the Aleph Hay love to the Bez Hay love. Because prior to Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, the love that Hashem had for Kal Yisrael existed solely because we were Kal Yisrael. We, because we had the Nisham of Kal Yisrael. After the birth of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, then we start, Hashem starts to raise the baby. Hashem starts to raise us to become who we can be. And all of life, all of life really, from that moment until the coming of Mashiach, is one big drama around the Aleph Hay and Bez Hay of Ahava. The Rishoner, the Holy Rishoner says, we say at the end of Magid Chayiv, Adam Lurus Esatzme Kilu Huyatzim that a person has to see themselves as if they themselves are leaving Mitzrayim in this generation. The Rishoner says, put a comma, Chayiv Adam Lurus Esatzme, a person must see themselves. When a person can truly see Lurus Esatzme, when a person can truly see that the essence of my existence is the true cheres of being loved, then the person can experience Yitzhiyaz Mitzrayim. So think about how much mental energy I exert. This is, this, is the, this is the exercise. Think of how much mental energy I exert over how I could be, should be, ought to be, want to be, dream to be, plan to be, etc. How much energy I spend on the to be, on the becoming, how much energy I have, how much mental energy I spend over my day. Let's just take a minute, 12 seconds. Think about how much mental energy I exert thinking about how it could be. Now let's see if we can shift gears for a minute. Put it on hold, we can. Spend a minute thinking about what it is like that Hashem loves me right now, how I am precisely in this moment. And now let's write. Pen and paper, computer, write about what thoughts and feelings come up for me now. 
from the skeptical to the painful, to the intellectual, to the emotional. Let's spend some time writing about what thoughts and feelings come up for me in the moment when I can feel that Hashem loves me precisely how I am in this moment. And finally, to bring us back to what we started with, the Swasemis. Find some time at the Seder. <clears throat> it could be 30 seconds, it could be three minutes. Whether you do this with someone else, or you tell this over to Hashem, or you just think about this on your own. To think about the larger context of my life. The thing about all of the chipazones that I've been through, the moments where I felt like my life was ending, but then somewhere somehow transformed into something different, something more beautiful. Think about all the transformations I've had. Think about all the growth that I've done in my life. Think about all the growth that I'm going to do in my life. And talk a little bit about the cheros of being loved by Hashem with a love that pre-exists the creation of this world. What is it like and what is the context? What does it feel like to be loved by Hashem right now, precisely how I am in this moment? I hope my prayer, my bracha to all of us, is that somehow this exercise can trigger a little bit of a taste of what it's like for our souls to be free. Because this is truly what Hashem is asking for us in our generation today. It's no longer about the fight. It's no longer about the anti-Semites. Of course, that's important. It's no longer about poverty and illness. It's really about the inner work. The inner work of bringing ourselves to a place where we can experience more cheros, more geula, more capacity, and more freedom for growing into who we can be without a need to be there. Hashem should give each and every one of us cheres from our own shibudim zarem, freedom and redemption from all the things that haunt us and hurt us and pain us. And with that, we should be continue in the long chain of our history of experiencing personal gu'ulas as a way of triggering the national gu'ula, the coming of Mashiach, the Meher Amenu, a Freilichen, Kasher, and Pesach.